0: Grom. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Cromcast. I'm Luke. I'm Jonathan. And
1: I'm Joshua.
0: And you are joining us for season 18, episode 10, again and again that we're doing. Mm-hmm. The story we're talking about today, tonight, the morning hours, whenever it happens to be that you're listening, is Iron Shadows in the Moon, uh, right? That's one of the names. Mm-hmm. What's the other name for the story?
1: Shadows in the Moonlight
0: shadows in the moonlight that My, sounds a little bit more like a soft rock slow slow dancing kind of song
1: one romantic bewitch you in the moonlight
0: so that's what we're talking about this episode I made the remark about it again and again because uh, this is going to become a notorious story for us guys it is right <laughs> this is uh, a story that we uh, did an episode on 10 years ago and then we recorded an episode that Nobody's gonna hear except for the elder, the elder Cthuloid races that apparently wiped it from the computer. Because here, just a few weeks ago, we did this recording, and uh, Audacity says, "No, no, 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 young fools,
1: yeah. it is not there. Files missing. I don't, I don't know where it went. Uh, like Luke said, it's, it's gone into the uh, the wide carnivorous ether." Yeah, (laughs) uh, of the the MacBook that I have. So uh, I'm sorry, guys.
0: Again, we're going to try to recreate some magic. I actually think from a little bit of our uh, our texting in the past few days that we have some some cool additional content that we're going to be talking about here. That's maybe going to flavor things up even better than that previous recording. We'll see. We'll try to recreate what we did. Because I do think that we had some really strong talking points. I at least have a handful of the the main things that I think that I'll probably try to bring up to kind of retread that water. Uh, I'm sure you guys have probably, probably thought about it similarly. But, you know, this is going to be a cool story because uh, we will have talked about it across the three of us three times in total. Uh, have there been any other stories that we've talked about three times?
2: Uh, yeah, we've done the Phoenix on the Sword three times.
0: And that, that was because of the road of revisions, right? That's so correct, we were, yeah. we talked about comparing Cole and Conan by this XI rule. So, and maybe, did we have Karen Joan Cahodic on that episode? Yeah, we
1: did. She wrote that killer, okay. killer essay that uh, sort of inspired the whole season.
0: And that was a partial epi- so episode, but this is definitely uh going to be one of our most talked about Conan stories at this point, at least across the three of us. So we're going to become <laughs> well well thought out with our, our statements and our kind of arguments here. Hopefully. Hope hopefully. So. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Conan, all right. Mo- thoughts. <laughs> mo- moving right along. Uh, do we want to talk about what we're drinking? What I do you have there, John? It. Yeah. Uh,
2: as usual, Wild Turkey 101. Hmm. Nice. What about Josh?
1: I'm enjoying the last uh, few scant bottles of a homebrew, the last homebrew batch that I did. Um, these bottles are a couple of years old, actually. Um, and I was a little worried about opening them because I think these caps that I have are only really good for about a year or so. Um, yeah. But they, they've hung on, man. They, they, they're hanging tight. Um, I opened this, this bottle uh, it had a, a nice foamy head. This is a uh, what is called a brick warmer red, and it's a it's a it's a stout red, and it's got a, a good bit of hoppiness uh, forward, and then some uh, malty goodness on the back end. And one of the things about this recipe that I messed up when I did it initially is that you're supposed to add um, some orange zest into the boil with about five minutes left. And then I totally forgot to do that. This is the, the first and <laughs> to date only batch of beer that I brewed after Penny was born. And so I was doing dad stuff like she was napping and I was brewing beer and I completely botched that, uh, that orange peel thing, added it to the primary fermentation instead and let it sort of steep in there for a few days and it's good. It's a, it's a, I thought I had messed it up, but it's good. You, you can kind of get that orange zesty flavor. Cool. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's solid. Uh, it's a recipe in a kit from Northern Brewer. I mean, it's, it's really hard to mess their recipes up. And nice. actually, just a, just real quick. I, when I realized I had messed up on the orange peel, I texted the number for uh northern brewer and somebody got back to me like within a few minutes they were they were like here's a couple things you can do and they said either steep it in sec- in primary or add like make a uh like steep it in some um some vodka and add that
0: oh okay so kind of ex- ex- make ex- like a little it. tea or uh yeah like a concoction or decoction yeah, yeah.
1: cool um and so I just went with – I didn't have any vodka on hand, so I just went with the, the – adding it to the primary. And uh, so just a little little uh, note in support of Northern Brewer, like I think brewing is one of those hobbies that seems <clears throat> intense and seems kind of uh, um, intimidating to get into. But uh, from what I've found, other homebrewers are like itching to teach people how to brew. Like – and they're not condescending. They, they want you to like – try stuff and get it right and um, yeah. feel free to experiment. So uh, get get yourself some Northern Brewer. That's cool. all. That's, that sounded like a one thing, but it's really not. I'm just uh, – <laughs> I, I forgot I had these beers, so I threw them in the fridge last night, and I'm um, just excited to have them. No, how about, man. How about you, that Luke? sounds
0: tasty. Uh, I have – I don't want this to sound too bougie. Actually, it's not too bougie, actually. Uh, one part of it is bougie. I have a can of uh, – San Pellegrino Aranciata, kind of those those fancy like slender uh orange sodas cuz we had a six pack or two that I'd picked up for Liz at Kroger over the last week or so cuz they were you know a little bit cheaper than normal cuz they're stupid expensive normally. Uh but that plus ice plus very old barton makes a really nice orange refreshing summer beverage. So I'm basically just drinking a uh, a mixed drink with uh, with that with some really bitter orange soda and some and some whiskey. So I got that, and then I also have my thermos from this morning of uh, uh cafe du Monde French uh, chicory coffee. Do you guys like chicory coffee? Have you guys
1: ever had that much? I don't think I've
0: had it. Begatory. It's good. It's a it's a it's a funky kind of thing. It's a an old school kind of style of coffee. You can find it. Uh, in lots of different grocery stores and there's a lot of different brands but uh, Cafe Du Monde's the main the main one anyway so uh, drinking some some stout coffee and some (laughs) some really tart orange soda and whiskey so I'm kind of burning my taste buds out so that is what we're drinking let's go ahead and uh, moving on over to one thing see how much we stick to our one things from a couple few weeks ago with our previous recording or maybe we elect new one things maybe we'll have two things who knows how we're gonna do this i'll go back to john since you started out on the drink the drink roll call what's uh do you got a one thing handy dude
2: i do i will be fidelitous to my past self and redo my one thing and it was gardening then and it is gardening now uh not to sound like an old farmy dude or anything but I uh, got the garden out, and the last time we were recording, I'd, I'd put some stuff in the ground and maybe some extra peppers. All of the peppers that I put in have died, unfortunately. The cool peach peppers and uh, Tunisian ones that I put in the ground, they weren't quite ready for prime time. But everything else, going gangbusters. I've definitely got some zucchini that's coming in, hardcore. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've got a bunch of radishes that are shouldering right now out of the ground. Probably going to have some beets soon. Uh, the cucumbers have gone bananas. And the <laughs> lima beans have gotten bananas.
1: <laughs> is that how we get bananas? I never knew. That's, that. right.
2: that's exactly right. You cross okay. lima beans and cucumbers oh. and you get bananas. It's a very strange <laughs> genetic situation. That's good. Yeah.
0: So, is uh, our thing starting to to flower out?
2: Yeah. I've, oh, the uh, other thing that's been really flowering are the cantaloupe. Last year, I struggled to do any cantaloupe, and this year, I've got more flowers of that than I have anything else. So, I'm hoping that the squash bees have been kind and the bumblebees have been buzzing and my daughter will be snacking on her favorite melon in the, in the near future
0: dude you're you got the green thumb
2: the i, pe- green I thumbs got lucky this squirrel. year yeah uh, i moved some things around in the garden i put some some compost that i made at home in there we've been uh, composting up some stuff so these might be highly caffeinated there's a lot of coffee grounds over in that compost The way to do
0: it it's just the right <laughs> consistency man right yeah. cuz it kind of breaks down and it's already exactly what it needs to be yeah
2: I did dig up an eggshell that apparently hadn't gotten destroyed in the composting process. Uh-huh. That was funny, but yeah, gardening. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, I what do have you think what is the percentage of gardeners that are listening what or, or, or of our listenership that are gardeners?
0: I would say five percent. Five percent. That's pro- that's probably that's probably judicious because I think I bet well maybe five or ten. One one out of ten, one out of twenty. That would be my vote. That would be my prediction. I mean, I just think that it's it's hard for a lot of folks, and I would I would hazard that a lot of our listeners, uh, maybe like maybe they have the ability to garden, maybe they don't have access to the space for it too,
2: right? Like if you're still in an
0: apartment, you know that kind of thing can be hard to do. It's very
1: true.
2: So I don't know. What do you guys think? My I guess was in between five and ten. Yeah,
1: I would have guessed. I, I bet. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm taking it back. I I have no clue how to even <laughs> sound off
2: in, in the tweets. Yeah, yeah let uh, us you know if you're in the
0: garden right now. Now, I bet that we have a high percentage of people that actually like keep plants cuz you know, I do think that our listeners probably are the types of folks that will have you know, a houseplant or two, maybe a, a cactus or a crazy old uh, fern or like uh, a begonia named the If you <laughs> a crazy are if you, he, so, here's here here's here's a hot take. If you're <laughs> the type of person that is really interested in like a literature discussion discussion podcast, you're probably also nerdy enough to uh, water your plants on a semi regular basis in the house and have a plant or two in a pot. probably <laughs> and and also maybe it's aesthetically pleasing. You know what I mean? Like you like the smell of your musty old tomes. You like to look across your your reading space at that uh, that fern. <laughs> like I'm looking. Yeah, exactly, uh, Josh. Uh, in the background of Josh uh, <laughs> behind his computer, there's a bookcase and there's at least two or three different plants and pots sitting on top. And those <laughs> yeah. are just like in your random like office room.
1: Yeah, those, in your the,
0: in your place. Yeah, that's
1: not that's not half. Yeah, that's not half of what's in here. But yeah,
0: yeah. So I bet we got a lot of plant lovers. Well, I'm one awesome. of them. Awesome. Yeah, man. I'm excited for your radishes, those things. They get they get hot. Like as we move man. into summer, like they'll get spicy, man. But yeah, Josh, do you want to do a one thing? You got one handy?
1: I do. Um so I I'm changing mind from the first one. I've been really playing Breath of the Wild pretty hard on the Nintendo Switch. This is the Zelda game from I mean, it's not new anymore. It's been out for several years, right? But a new Zelda game emerged just in the last month called uh, Tears of the Kingdom. And it is a direct sequel to Breath of the Wild. And that's unusual. They're, they're usually the Zelda games uh, are are not uh, in any kind of sequence or order. And that gives fans of continuity all kinds of headaches and, and you know, uh, different ways to debate the stories and, and all that. And, and that, that might be something we come back to in just a little bit. But, um, <laughs> you this, didn't say the magic word. <laughs> this, uh, this game is just so much fun to me. Um, it's exploration. It, it hits this exploration itch that I used to get from hiking different places. And I haven't been able to hike really in the last couple of years, um, all that much. So, putting Zelda in the in the Switch and going into Hyrule and looking to see what's like, just following the landscape, what's over this mountain, what's beyond this this hill, what's down in this lake, that kind of thing is just so much fun. And it's very difficult for me to focus on solving the the different uh, quests that I'm supposed to do um, because I just want to. Just want to explore. But I have finally defeated the first of the four. Not, not defeated. I've finally um, purified the first of the four divine beasts in the game. And I have. Uh, that was the water one. The water level. And I have made it into the Caldera of Death Mountain. And I'm going to uh, purify the, uh, the the beast of fire. I think it's uh, Varudinia is, the, is that one. And then I've got one in the desert. That I've got to go do and then there's one that flies that I have no idea how you even get to and then uh, It's Ganon in time, but uh, I've explored enough to have gotten uh, enough heart containers to have uh, uh, Reacquired the master sword um, Which is a big deal in this game because your weapons break and so if you have a sword and it does Decent damage you want to hold on to it. You don't want to use it um, so there's some resource management to this game but the master sword doesn't take up a weapon block in your inventory. And when it breaks, it like restructures itself. It, it just runs out of energy. You can't use it for, for 10 in game minutes. And so that is major. This makes the, the master sword, the best sword in the game. Um, so I've got that going for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, is
1: nice. yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. Not having to worry about, uh, weapons in my inventory anymore so that's all i've i've been living and breathing hyrule uh in the wild breathing breathing that's awesome dude i just love this freaking game uh it's and it it does a lot of things that skyrim doesn't do and skyrim does a lot of things that that this game doesn't do so between the two of them like skyrim and breath of the wild are like the the yin and yang supreme they they are the uh together the the Platonic ideal <laughs> video game. Anyway, what about you, cool. Luke?
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna change things from the last the last time we we tried this. So my one thing this time around, uh, it's gonna be a podcast nested within a podcast because I can't talk about the one that I've been mainlining without acknowledging where I where I got the information about said podcast. So uh, the podcast that I've been listening to pretty heavily uh, is called Tale of the Manticore and Tale is T-A-L-E and then Manticore just as it's spelled in your your Dungeons and & Dragons and your mythology. Uh, and it is a cool OSR – uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcast, but I would dare say that it's one of the most original D&D podcasts that that I've ever listened to. So I'll talk about the structure over here in just a second, but to acknowledge where I heard about it, I think we may have talked about this show in the past, but there's a podcast that I've listened to over the years that's called The Grognard Files. Uh, and I think, Josh, I think you've listened maybe to some of these too, because mm-hmm. I've definitely sent some of these Past episodes of theirs out. I really like uh, the Grognard Files because it's it is uh, it's it's British, so it's on the other, it's across the pond on the other side of the ocean, which gives it a different flavor than our tabletop RPG scene, right? Like here in the states, when I say ours, I mean like what I am accustomed to here in the United States. We are very D and D centric, and we're very much couched in TSR and Dungeons and Dragons. But, you know, if you're in the British Isles and just maybe even European, European more generally, you're into gaming culture, like games workshop had a huge formative impact on you. And there's a lot of different types of British games that just never were as big here. And so they talk about RPGs just kind of like across the board and they put out episodes, uh, I would say periodically. They're not one of those regular weekly shows, but they do really great shows. Where it's some older RPG dudes from uh, from England, or at least in Great Britain. And they're they're sitting around. Some of the recordings are actually like at the pub, and they're talking about old games. They've got some really cool, deep history of games workshop type stuff. Uh, that are some cool episodes. If people want to check them out, there's some like. Actual play type stuff. Lots of different cool stuff. So the Grognard Files, uh, on their most recent episode, they interviewed John Cohen, who is the host of Tale of the Manticore. And so whenever I listened to this, I thought it was super cool because this fellow John Cohen, basically what his show is, the way he the way he flavors and advertises it is it's using BX Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, The Dungeons and Dragons mechanics a stripped down, old school ethos and rule set. But he's basically he's the Dungeon Master. He's rolling dice. He has his PCs, but there's no other people on the podcast. So it's highly produced. It's kind of a melding of like uh, dice mechanics and D&D with like a fantasy novel, like kind of being – Constructed every episode, he doesn't know what's going to happen, and he very much sells the the point that the the dice are gonna they're gonna decide what happens. Let the chips <laughs> fall where they may. If there's a TPK, if there's uh, a bad roll, if somebody loses an eye, these are the things that are going to happen within the within the scope of the game. So it's really cool, uh, and I cannot imagine like the level of work that this guy must put into his show because it has great music. It's very tight. Each episode is on the order of like 20 to 40 minutes, I think 20 to 30 minutes in length. You know, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if I was to look at all the run times and to see that they were like 22 minutes each, just like an old <laughs> 30 minute television show with the, with the addition of like uh commercial space in there because he does, he intersperses, Some ads for other RPG podcasts and whatnot, but he does a really good job of using music and just the tone of his voice to transition between, like the situations where he's rolling for combat and he's doing the the random mechanics that are going to dictate how the game plays out, and then he sort of can segue into the. The main storytelling portion, and then he might have these little interludes where it's a bit more of a novel, where he's like he call you know he refers to the dramatis personae, so he'll bring up one of the main characters in the, in the story and gives a little bit of like what you would have on a as a paragraph or two for backstory for a character that maybe you scribbled down for your own. Uh, So give it a check, check out. Uh, It's called Tale of the Manicor, a dark fantasy Dungeons and Dragons audio drama. Uh, it is not funny funny haha it is it takes itself very seriously i don't want to say it's like the if you listen to the guy's intro it is a bit heavy with the the flavor of like this is going to be grim dark and stuff's going to happen and it's not recommended for you know this is recommended for mature audiences but in all honesty it's a pg13 or a hard pg osr actual play podcast but without the the bs of people Uh, getting sidetracked around the table as we all, (laughs) as we all do. So it's, it's a really cool, uh, structure. I've never heard anything quite like it. And I don't know, I've listened to it the past couple weeks when I've been out doing field work for about four or five hours and I've devoured probably, I think the first 18 episodes of the first season. So just listening to them back to back to back. So that's that's my one thing. Hopefully, I didn't eat up too much airtime with that. But I ha- I felt like I had to talk about the thing that like birth the thing that, that I've perfect. really been focusing on.
1: Sneaky two things. <laughs> Sneaky two things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stealth two things. Yup. Yeah. That's dope.
0: So those are those are our one things. You put them all together. You mix them up. Throw them all. Throw all those dice in your dice cup and shake it around. Clankety clack. and You got yourself
3: one thing.
0: You guys want to talk about uh, some uh, some Iron Shadows, some Iron Shadows in the Moon? This is one of those stories where I feel like you can you can give it any old story, like any old tile, like t- like Iron Shadows Moon. Mix them up in any order you want, and you're going to be able to get it.
1: Yeah, like uh, uh, Mad Libs Conan style. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fun to do uh, actually.
0: But we got a bit of a bit of a pirate story again, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Does this seem reminiscent to any other stories that we've read?
2: <laughs> a few.
1: A few, but specifically, it seems like the mirror image almost of Pool of the Black one.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities and thinking it I actually like with the the re-recording here, I listened to this as an audiobook this time around. Like I found just like a, a free YouTube like LibriVox or one of those types of recordings and, and ran through it at 1.5 speed. But I found myself thinking again that I really like that. This is a a piratey story, but I like that there's more time on the water that we've got. Like there's a scene where Conan's like rowing through the nights and there's hopping on the hopping on the boat. They're just, it's more than just an Island story. It's like, we cover more ground in this story than we do in, uh, uh, that, that other previous, previous one. And I, I don't know. I like that a lot. The fact that we've got like multiple kind of set pieces that we're working through.
1: Yeah. Um, I, so to, to sort of set the stage for this, for, for some of my thoughts on this, I wanted to sort of discuss this, poll that I posted on our Twitter of a little bit ago, and it just said iron shadows in the moon or pool of the black one. Hashtag Robert E Howard. No explanation whatsoever beyond that. Uh, Uh We had had 20 people vote and it looks like the iron shadows in the moon won 55% to 45%. So this is close, right? Like out of 20. So, so we're talking about like 11 or 12 versus, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, nine or nine, so. eight yeah. or nine. Yeah. And so these two stories, I don't want to, I don't want to dig too deep into trends that aren't really there, but I think that because these two stories are so similar to one another, that you could view them as kind of interchangeable. And that's not to take away from pool of the black one, nor is it to elevate iron shadows in the moon As, you know, a classic Conan story, because I don't think really either of these, in my opinion, would be in my top five. But these two stories, in my mind, form the basis of a a legendarium of Conan. Like these two stories, Mm -hmm. because of their similarities, call to mind this idea that Howard wrote about in his letters to Clark Ashton Smith and Tevis uh, Clyde and and all these other folks about Conan being a person in his head sort of standing at the typewriter just telling him what to write right like just just kind of giving him the uh, being the muse for these things and he sprang
2: forth fully formed
1: yeah he' sprang forth fully formed and I think that in the sort of the scaldic legends passing tradition, these two stories are variants of the same core story. And we don't get the the actual story. We don't know what actually happened, but in these two stories, Conan becomes associated with pirates. Somehow he ends up on an Island with a beautiful woman whom he saves. He saves her life. Um, he challenges the pirate captain to combat of some sort and takes command of his ship, and there's some weird, human, vaguely humanoid monsters on the island, right? Like there, there are story beats yeah. that that in general uh, follow one another bit by bit by bit. And I think if if we took these two stories and went scene by scene, paragraph by paragraph, it would be tedious. Don't get me wrong; it would be tedious. But if we went beat by beat, I think we would see that skeleton probably with some good meat on the bones. So what do you, yeah, what do you guys I think, think you
0: very much could do that with like a whole stack of index cards, two different colors, like sort of just go like page by page and paragraph by paragraph, and line out the actions or the the places because things are slightly different with the the length and the the breadth of the narrative. Like to and to me, I, this story, I like more than the pool of the black one. And I know we're going to ultimately kind of unpack this. Uh, This story has just a little bit more information. There's still like questions about what's going on on this weird ass island and why there's these iron devils that are (laughs) what's going on here. And that's different than the beings that are, you know, in the, the pool of the black one. That but that's just a, such a bonkers, like big old question mark. I feel like this is a slightly better explained story, and there's just a little bit more world building here. But that in combination with a little bit more change up of uh, the scenes and the the trade dress of the whole story, those are the things that really that I like more. But I still like Zohu of the Dusk a whole lot more than these two <laughs> stories than those two stories. That's my that's my stance. So
1: what about you, John? Like, are we are we burying the lead a little bit too much here should, should we go a little bit more gradual like how how should we how should we approach do you want to do you want to drop some knowledge
2: I don't know that I have any knowledge to drop per se but no we're not very in the lead uh, I was just trying to remember all the things that we had said the last time although I guess it doesn't really matter at this point it does not uh, yeah there's definitely some shared beats uh, I really liked it I, I wondered if this uh, idea of these stories being connected and being maybe uh, the same yarn told by different folks and uh, your myth versus everything else kind of analysis that if it started the night that we did this recording, because you kind of started preaching this then about maybe these are, this is just one boat and this is another boat. and
1: Right. The, I, so this is something that occurred to me while we were talking about the story last time. And, and it, uh, you, if you were, if you're listening now, if you had been listening to that, Iteration of the recording, you would have heard us kind of, uh, stumble onto this and, and talk about it. And it would have been a a little clumsy, but it, you would have heard the enthusiasm. Right. Um, and I've, having more time to think about it has not diminished my excitement for it. Like there's something about Conan and his stories as written by Howard, as published in Weird Tales, that is an elemental kind of, you know, sitting around a campfire telling a story, listening to somebody like recount um portions of their lives. Like these are the adventures that I went on. Right? Like uh, a very A Thousand One Nights. Uh yeah. like this is sherazad sharing the tale of Alibaba or or whatever one no, one night and not finishing it and it's not in order and it doesn't have to have any continuity.
2: It's the opener to the Dark Horse stuff, right? No, O Prince, that in the time between the rise of the Sons of Ar- like it's it's a it's a chronicle. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and this, like, th- well, this story came out in uh, April 34, and I've got my previous page, bookmarked for Pool of the Black One. That came out in October 33. So October to November, November to December, to January, February, March, April. Within six months, these two stories came out in the same magazine. And, and constant readers, faithful readers of that magazine, the, the fans of Howard of the time – like they were getting another one of these pirate stories that was very close. I don't know. It would be kind of cool to actually look at the Erie and to see if anybody comments after this issue. So I guess we would need to check out like issues of the Erie in like May, June, July of 34 to see if any letters come in addressing the this versus that. Like basically the poll that you that you posted, Josh. It would be kind of cool to see what the readers of the time thought, but people very much were comfortable buying two stories that were very similar to one another people like Farnsworth. Right. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like he, the, both of these were snatched up and put out and they were out there in the ether for, for the weird tales readers to, to consume. Yeah. It's just, it's cool to think that we have, and I know I, I want to get to the other thing that you've been kind of tinkering with in your head over the past couple of days, Josh. This idea of mythos and mythology. Maybe we can bring that up here. But it's cool to just think about how these stories in Howard's head are a bit ethereal, and he doesn't maybe know the exact translation. He's he's getting these things out like in they're not dreams, but Conan's fully formed, but he's kind of trying to put these stories on the page and they're slightly different in flavor.
1: Yeah. And you know, he wants to be a professional writer and this is what's selling, right? Like he's found his market here or found a market Mm -hmm. with Conan stuff anyway. Um, And so there's kind of a cynical way to look at it from that standpoint. But I think that there's something more to it. I think Howard was more than just a work a day, you know, uh, slamming the keys, selling a story Moving on, there's there's more to it than that. Um, there's an art to it,
0: a refinement, right? Like yeah. because he could have presumably uh, hammered out a different story that didn't have quite so similar plot beats, uh, but would have been relatively easily structured with Conan going to another island, <laughs> but not <laughs> not with the the opening fight sequence and not with these, these creatures on the, uh, like he could have changed it up. Like with, with seeming ease. I say that like he, he had to write the damn story, uh, mm-hmm. long form on a typewriter, that kind of thing. But it's just, it was, it must've been like a little mind virus or a little mind worm that was just like eating at him, like this type of story, mm-hmm. the same way that when we get to Conan the Conqueror, you know, uh, when we get to that, like we're gonna see these retreading of of story tropes again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's gonna play the hits when we get there, right? Yeah, that, that's a greatest hits kind of thing. And here he's f- he's noodling and he's figuring out like what works and what doesn't. And I do think you're right, Luke, that there is something in his head with you know going to a weird island and encountering these ancient conflicts with, with different deities or or with a deity and these ancient peoples. I don't know. Um, And you said earlier, there's, there's a little bit more depth to the story. And I totally agree. Like in the pool of the black one, we don't really know what those, those things are. Right. Not really here. We kind of do like they're an ancient humanoid race. And they have openly mocked and challenged this a, a, a god by slaughtering his son. All kinds of Judeo-Christian um, imagery here. I think.
0: Yeah, and 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 like Howard doesn't course correct enough to get away from like white white god kind of uh, not iconography, but like these motifs that that are prob like problematic in this day and age. Like we still get this, this white God being sacrificed or murdered by this, this black race. They're not black. They're not, they're not black people. They're not black humans, but they are these black ones. They are something otherworldly. They're different. Uh, and Howard explains that he doesn't, he doesn't like fix those elements, but he gives you enough story That we know – like I am content to know that these bad creatures on the island basically killed a god. Like that gives you more than the pool of the black one and then whatever the hell that that rushing – penis water <laughs> shape thing <laughs> was, you know, that's, that's very powerful. Like the symbolism there with that, but it doesn't, it doesn't make, it does not make you feel uh content with like knowing kind of what the whole, the whole story is. It's it's weird and it's impressionistic, but it's not good. I would say,
1: do you think that the pool of the black one, do you both, both Luke and John, do you guys think that pool of the black one is weirder than this story like in from the standpoint of using the word weird as in weird tales.
2: I would say that it's weirder because we get to see some more of the weirdness. This one feels like it's weirder, but Conan isn't at the weirdest scene in the whole thing where the iron shadows actually come alive in the moon. Instead, he gets this this side weirdness of, you know, a stranded monkey that or monkey man. That's going to attack them.
1: and that's the other beat. That's the other story beat, right? Like he fights yes. uh, uh, an ape in both of these two stories.
2: Right. A displaced Simeon. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh,
1: well, uh-huh. That's, that's how they disperse across the landscape. Right? Right. Everyone knows
2: that. <laughs> by the husk.
1: <laughs> yeah. It grabs, it grips the uh, the log. And it probably chopped that log down to make a boat to distribute out to the island. <laughs> in the Villette Sea.
0: Yeah, I think... Uh... With that other with the pool of the black one, I remember we spent some time talking about the the apple or the 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 poison fruit, right, and the the symbolism that's at work there, right. and that also that I felt like it was a little bit uh, not sloppy, but just like a very convenient mechanistic sort of bit within the story that didn't quite strike me as believable or meaningful. That time around, like, we still get some sloppy beats within within this story. Like, uh I don't know why we're hearing the like why the ape is hurling boulders at them. Like like there's gonna be a big monkey
1: fight at the end, <laughs> he right? Didn't have like, any, <laughs> he didn't have any barrels. Obviously. And I
0: feel like this story it, it, you know, play an armchair quarterback for how how could the story be revised to make it a little bit better? I would fix the monkey fight at the end so that it's not just uh, this extra looming threat, but actually kind of tie it more into the 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 mythos of the of the world, like or the of the island. Like whatever's going on on this island, don't make don't make it be a monkey fight at the end, like tie it more to the to the evilness. What,
1: what if an, the, what there? if the evilness? What if the race had been? these uh in howard's words these primal people that had not yet left apedom or that had sunk back into apedom and this is one of the uh the ones that had sunk furthest on the evolutionary chain
0: i think that would be great and i think it would make it less icky than than some of the descriptions and the 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 ways that howard is playing with like uh uh racial archetypes within the stories. Like if we made it just absolute big old jungle gorillas that were unmistakably not human. I think that would be cool. If if we actually had like a, you know, the, the, the monkey from rogues in the house, Mm -hmm. like something along those lines.
1: His brother. Yeah. (laughs) You killed (laughs) killed (laughs) my brother. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I remember us being quite taken with the parrot as well If if there had been parrot people Or giant, even bigger parrot uh, That could have been fun can you talk Yeah, about that's the, weird, man
1: the, Can you guys talk about the David Attenborough Scene on page 192 at
2: the bottom <laughs> Crom, Here's the grandfather of all parrots He must be a thousand years old Look at the evil wisdom of his eyes What mysteries do you guard, wise devil Abruptly the bird spread its flaming wings And soaring from its perch cried out harshly yeah, kulanyak <laughs> With a wild screech of horribly human laughter, it rushed away through the trees to vanish, in the opalescent shadows. Opalescent shadows.
1: I like that. It's, it reminds me very much of an SNL sketch with uh, uh, Tracy Morgan as a uh, like a naturalist. Do you <laughs> yes. know what I'm talking about? I do. Know. And yeah. he's like, uh, "That bird has devil eyes."
2: <laughs> Brian Fellows. <laughs>
1: Brian Fellows. Yeah, a good pool, man. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, the parrot to me is the weirdest thing that we encounter. At least there's there's uh, an explanation for the the shadows of the moon. The, those those dudes um but this parrot man we we don't know and there's a there's a creepy um in piece there on page 216 with the uh the parrot just looking at you.
2: Yeah. That I like, although that one doesn't look quite big enough for it to be the grandfather of all parrots. Unless those leaves are more the, sizable. Those than are real
1: big day. leaves, dude. Yeah, so. <laughs>
2: this,
1: there's no scale. You don't know. You're right. You're right. Um. Anyway, I, I will. I feel like I'm talking a lot, and I will.
0: No, man.
2: Will, no, I, I feel like into have the we, background. Have we busted open what you want to talk about with myth versus mythos? Uh,
1: we've kind of we've kind of danced around it, but danced around it. Yeah, I wanted to to ask you guys directly how and I asked you this in a text just you know so you know fall back on on that or if you have any other things that you want to add how do you reckon the difference in the in a, a modern parlance in the parlance of our times between the words mythos and mythology
2: Uh, the way that i had defined it prior in my head or the feel of it to me is that a mythos feels less cast in stone or like written down or set in place i guess okay. and less defined and it's still malleable in a way like people are still figuring it out whereas a mythology feels a lot more fixed whereas people have sat down and thought about these they've put it in order and it's become a fixed And you have like our classical world mythologies. There are tales with each of those that are that are set pieces that are mile markers in going through that mythology. Mm -hmm. Whereas some other mythologies are still mythos. It feels like because we're figuring it out, Uh, and we also I think use mythos a lot to talk about like Spider Man and stuff. Like you say, the Spider Man mythos rather than the Spider Man mythology. Okay, so it feels more open ended, maybe.
0: Yeah. So. And I very much feel the same that 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 John, like what John's tapping into here, like on one level, people tend to use uh, mythos in a fandom, whereas mythology is used. I don't want to say like IRL, like in the real world, Mm -hmm. but mythology is used kind of within the context of like larger Established, long-running culture, okay. right? So, I, like that—that's one level. But then the other thing that—and I think it kind of isn't really interrelated—but interrelated, a mythos itself is a less concrete, more amorphous uh, condition of stories. Like they're less established for the community. And I know like there's comparative theology and comparative mythology, right? Like mm-hmm. people have been studying and comparing uh, the similarities across all of these Eastern and Western stories on the globe for centuries at this point. So mm-hmm. we know that there's these interrelationships between things like Christianity and, and Islam and you know uh judaism and <laughs> there's all of these common sort of things that are getting tapped into and there's different flavors that are kind of being stressed and different stories that might be unique but there's similarity you know there's that kind of stuff like deeper there's you know the con like the common flood myth you know that is all around the horn all around the world there's different flavors of that flood myth and so those are still myth like that's still mythology but it's more of an accepted uh, narrative structure. Okay. I don't know. I don't want to – maybe also, Josh, kind of set the stage for why you were thinking about this too because okay. I think
1: – yeah. Yeah, so on a uh, a recent episode of Weird Studies, the hosts were talking about this topic, like a uh, modern mythos. And, and the framework that they used was Twin Peaks and in particular uh, season three of Twin Peaks talking about the fictional world and the questions and the very limited answers to those questions that, that Mark Frost and David Lynch um, put forward in the uh, novels and in the TV show um, and the movie fire walk with me and then back into season one and two of, of the show. And they uh, they being the hosts of, of weird studies, uh, JF and help me out, Luke uh
0: Phil Phil, yeah, Phil. um, yep.
1: those dudes had an amazing discussion, like just kind of made me want to rewatch the whole series again, yeah that that kind I of felt dis-
0: similarly, it was just like, oh yeah, I like I don't know if I have the the constitution to sit through all of that craziness, but all of those eighteen <laughs> hours of like what does this all mean, yeah. but it made me want to like
1: yeah. I, <laughs> um and so uh, so I've got yeah. the DVDs like ready to go. Whenever, you, whenever you guys are ready, <laughs> we can, we can begin. Uh, but it made me start thinking about pop culture mythos and what goes into like how, you, how you make a mythos. And I think what I came to was that you don't like you, if you set out to make a mythos, you, you fail, you don't, um, it can't be intentional or maybe it can be, but it, There's on some level there's some artifice that I think will show up in in your efforts, and and
0: and it's less it's less dreamlike and it's less uh, organic and less less mythical. Yeah. If you if you start with the world fully formed and here's the story like and here's how it's all uh, interrelated, it takes the mystery out of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like is the necessity of this
1: to some extent but in a way like so howard wrote two or three conan stories and then wrote the Hyborean age essay right like that's that's the, the the general uh perceived thought is that howard wrote phoenix on the sword right. he wrote uh um let's see i'm not sure i'm not sure about the order here but somewhere in there scarlet citadel the frost giant's daughter and god in the bowl right so right. so he's got these different stories and then he's like this is a cool character Um, I'm going to make some sales with this. I want this to to make some sort of sense. And so I'm going to put together all this, all these thoughts into like a Bible that I'm going to pull from, you know, so that things are consistent. And, and so from that angle, Howard is, is taking history and mythology and kind of melding it into this cool, you know, pseudo historical world that he's, that he's making. right? Right. Um, but i think it's the fact that it <laughs> it draws from so many different sources that lends some some element of truth to it it's very much like lovecraft talking about the necronomicon and referring to it and other other tomes and other grimoires that actually are real right and yeah. and not saying ever not saying no. Oh, my the necronomicon's fake. <laughs> so but so
0: the like the Hyborian Age essay to me is cool and effective because it operates at such a larger scale.
1: Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The,
0: the like the in the first 3 or 4 Conan stories we get uh, bright points on a map. We know Zamora. We know Samaria. We know like st- Stygia Hyrcania, in the south. Yeah. We know this is happening after the the ocean swallowed up Atlantis. But like the 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 world building that's happening in the Conan stories is at a more meaningful scale for like the, for his hero, for Conan. Right. Mm -hmm. But his Hyborian age essay is that much bigger. It's like the deep history. It's like the, you use the term Bible. I mean, it is like this overarching big, big text to me. That's why it's, that is a more useful narrative tool for, uh, Howard to have created than the map of the known world during Conan's life. Like you open up, you know, the Savage Sword comic book and you see that here's the, here's the map (laughs) of of the the Hyborian age. Like Howard didn't build that map because if he would have done that, then he really would have been, he didn't, he would have been painting himself into a corner in a lot of ways. Right.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And there is like a, a pencil sketch of a map in the back of uh, the Del Rey coming of Conan, the Sumerian that I think that Howard did and It's There's not a lot of detail, right? Like you can make out that it is akin to like, uh, one of the supercontinents at some point before yeah. it broke up. Like you can see
0: yeah, you're Africa right. there. And I had forgotten that these were in there. Like there, there are these
1: maps, that, but they're not hyper detailed.
0: There. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't want to make this sound like I am absolutely against any level of detailed world building because I love, I love Tolkien and I love all kinds of different (laughs) people that have written like artists that have created very orderly and rigid, uh, mythologies for their work. But I also, I, it's just easy to see why you would want to just start talking about one or two or three things and then build a little bit of structure up around it, you know? And if you're Lovecraft, you're, you're cleverly blending your your fact with your fiction. And if you're Howard, you're doing the same, but you're grounding it in history instead of Grimoires, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're,
1: yeah, you're taking a little of column A, a little of column B, a little of column C, right? Like he he works Nordic mythology, Norse mythology into it in the presence of the, the Esir and the Vanir – He's got Stygia, which is a proto-Egyptian culture, right? They're not right. Egyptians as they're depicted, but they're uh, they're certainly pre-Egyptians. Um, and
0: I know we we talked about it with the the Frost Giant's daughter. That at least my opinion is like that was that was Howard going too hard in the paint with the Norse mythology angle. Like if if he would have dialed that back, it would have been a better story in a lot of ways if it wasn't quite so uh so Claim-y. much using yes yeah cr- quite so tied to an established mythology like to me that's a crutch the story could have been that much weirder like something we're reading here and less reading like a bullfinch's mythology or something yeah so yeah, I don't know. I've been, t- I've been talking a lot here too. John, do you have anything to, to kind of, to add to this? I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there anything that we've kind of talked over that you want to respond back to? And, and I have I one that.
1: more question before we leave this. So, so yeah, let's hear it. Well, no, go. Uh,
2: no, I, I want to hear the question. Okay.
1: That's, the question that's, is, that's and about. so I'll, I'll address you first and I'll address Luke with a similar question. So you said Spider-Man, and and the uh, Spider Verse can be considered a mythos. Why?
2: Like, I guess it feels like what? a mythos because it's not done, right? Okay, it's not over. And
1: is go? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to. No,
2: no, go ahead, go ahead. Is uh,
1: is is there a Superman mythos?
2: Yeah, I would say so. So is
1: any comic book character associated with a mythos?
2: I think you could strip them out to individual mythos, or you could start wrapping them together into a DC or Marvel mythos, okay? In some ways, uh, where it's all sort of collected. I guess that if you haven't seen Spider Verse, there's some sort of there is a bit of discussion on some of what we're talking about and digging on here I in terms I seen of it yet. they they use the the phrase canon event, like that. There's something that has to happen in every Spider person's life. Uh, that's the same across the board basically there's a few of these things and i think that starts to strip away the mythos aspect if it has these signposts that it has to meet i'm just kind of rambling but i don't think i'm answering your <laughs> that's question literally
1: about. all i've been doing for the past uh 20 minutes <laughs>
2: <laughs> i i just feel like it's a mythos for a character like spider-man or superman or even you know daredevil or cyclops or whatever like Nothing is set in stone because there's always these retcons. There's oh, good point. Uh, you know, there's there's prequels and sequels and threequels. It's it's all so higgly piggly, and it could change under your feet at any given moment. That it can't be a mythology in that sense. Okay, and I think I think that's what separates some of like people like to say Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman like they're the new mythological. They're the, they're the 21st century's mythological creatures or heroes. And I don't, I don't fully embrace that quite yet. Like maybe in a hundred or 200 years, that'll be true. But I guess I don't feel like they're solidified enough to be that quite yet. Okay. Neither is Conan. I don't think. Okay.
1: Why? Why? So Conan is over a hundred years old. Why? Yeah. Not over. over, Sorry. Close to a hundred years old.
2: I guess that it's some of what you were putting down in the text message thread. It it almost feels like inherently since he's since so anti civilization, like his story can't be civilized and turned into a myth and we're still tinkering with it, right? Like what was that book that just came out uh by uh Esther Sterling?
1: Yeah. Yeah The Blood of so, the Serpent.
2: Yeah. It, I guess to me that's different than a mythology like Norse mythology. Nobody is making a new Norse myth right now, right? Uh, like Well Walt Simmonson. Yeah, I mean, we we play with it and we we make uh, pastiches of it or or we play in those sandboxes. But the Norse myth is set like we've read the pros and the sagas and everything like we have what we have. OK, and there's a there's a canon like there's a set of stories that are always told with with the Norse sagas. Okay, you're pointing at
1: me. I am pointing at you. Uh, I, so I wrote down in in my notes app. I didn't write this down in my notebook, but uh, here are the words that I wrote down in association with this. You ready? Yes. Uh, mythos, myth, mythology, uh, literary imperialism. What is that? I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> canonize. So canon and uh, legend. And then I wrote plot versus story today. Plot versus okay. story. So what is canon? I'm, we, I'm we asking sort of, this as though I know the questions and I don't know. I, I'm, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to come across as this, no, no, this jerk hole that queen. like I'm, I'm just like leading you into this this uh, line of thinking. But
2: I, I I've been like struggling with this. Like what is canon? I feel like it's, it's the agreed upon set of stories that make up a mythology, right? Like it's what we are willing to agree or collectively agree as a group or a subset of a group and say – like these are the things that happen, and they always happen in okay. this myth or in this mythology. Okay, uh, you know what I'm, I guess.
1: So, canon it's like event, a list. like you were saying, like Uncle Ben has to die.
2: There's that, but then I guess if you go bigger, it's like, what stories do we accept? It's, I mean, it comes from like mm-hmm. Bible canon, right? What, right? What like something is like, canonized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What books yeah. were willing to say, like, this is the Bible. This yeah. is what makes up this overall story.
0: Right, right. And so, of course, I want to ask the question, you know, like, is Robert Jordan's Conan novels, are those canon? That's a right. good question. Yeah. Is is the Sterling Blood of the Serpent canon? I would suspect that there's huge swaths of the uh, Robert E. Howard readership that would say, not no, but hell no. Like, the, right. those are just somebody playing in the sandbox, like, to use the term that you used. A little bit ago john like but canon is what what somebody defines what a community defines right like and that's important so like i've listened to i don't know how many episodes of the cood street podcast where those two well-versed fnsf uh critics and editors and academics have uh gone back and forth about the importance of canon, but you know, when we talk about what is the the cano- what are the canonical texts for fantasy or what are the canonical texts for sword and sorcery, that's people this is the 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 thing that every SNS person online wants to argue about. Like what is SNS, like what is sword it, and sorcery? It leads to what, that, doesn't it? Is this story sword and sorcery or not, right? Like <laughs> they really gets down to is this canonical or not, right? Yeah. Is this part of the larger kind of story? And it's ultimately like a personal, uh, it, it is a community. It's a community. Uh, I don't want to say what's the right word. You've got norms and you've got, uh, sociological terms. You've got,
3: uh, anyway, like,
0: uh, it, that's all, it's ultimately a community level stance. Like what mm-hmm. becomes an established, uh, bit of the larger story but on a personal level there's nothing that says that you can't bring in some of those lost books of the new testament if you want to if you want to be a heathen christian right? <laughs> you know? yeah. or if you want to dig deep in your uh hmm. your howard uh text maybe those maybe those robert jordan conan books are just as just as important and useful to you as
1: everything else. Yeah, maybe. And so what I had, I had two, two points in mind and I don't know which to address first. So I'm going to just kind of go with the first one that occurred to me. Um, If you were to time travel and go back into Greek history and start asking people about the gods they follow and, and stories of, of heroes and legends and things like that in the Northern part of the country, you might get vastly different versions of tales of Perseus and Theseus and Heracles and and all these different all these different figures, um, you might get different accounts of how the world is created, but the same figures might play into those different accounts, right? So what you have there is a mythos, right? Yeah. Like it's a collection of of stories that are not necessarily interlinked or interconnected or or joined by some continuity. And, and first this thing happened and then Theseus stole the golden fleece and then Perseus went into the underworld and and this and that. Like uh it's it's a mishmash, which is how Howard told these stories to begin with. It's jangly. There's tension.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I had said to you guys at one point in time when Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology book um, was my one thing, like it's written in a very conversational way. Like somebody who would read these stories around a campfire would, would tell them. And so it's, it serves as like a basis and you don't have to get it exactly like the text. Like if you're telling a story about, about Loki and Thor and Loki tricking, Thor into going and, and stealing the mutton, the sacred mutton from this frost giant. Like that's who cares? Like the point is you're telling a cool story and, and maybe even a funny story about Thor having to dress and drag being tricked into marrying a giant just to get this mutton. Right. Like, right. It, it right. doesn't have to fall into the continuity. And I and think it takes
0: away from the fun, right? Like that was yeah. one of the, uh, can I can can we bring up Rick? your your ter- your civilization so like one of the things that you said in the text thread you said I think there's a wilderness or a mystery to a mythos and that applying a continuity or an explanation to it civilizes it and of course whenever we invoke these terms civilization and bar barbarism it's central to any Howard discussion I think it's it's a very apt framework for working through. What you're talking about here, and I think it's an important thing for fandoms to 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 reckon with. I know I say that word a lot uh, (laughs) across episodes, but do we need to build a mythology or is a mythos cool? Like, is that kind of what you're getting at with your
1: thinking? I think so. Like, is it enough to have these stories as written Or do we need to put them in order? And I know that there were some fans uh, who wrote to Howard while Howard Howard was still alive in like late 1935 or sometime who were like, I I think this is the order of the stories and how they uh, would have happened in in Conan's life. And Howard was kind of like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Right. Like
2: which gets back to what you were saying earlier about like it can't all have been decided beforehand or or it's artificial. Like, yeah, you have to have I think that's the essential lightning to this Frankenstein is it's got to get people so hooked that then they're kind of like filling in the blanks for you. And maybe you can be like, oh, yeah, no, I totally meant to do that all along (laughs) Uh, and, and play it cool. But the truth is, is, yeah, like none of it. It's it's not it's not springing forth fully formed from his head. It's it's happening as he does it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Da- uh, you know, we were started talking about weird studies and Twin Peaks like David Lynch. I have to think he operates on a different wavelength than than much of the rest of the yeah, he's, world. He's a different man. It's not like anything in that that narrative, that world is fully explainable. Right. And Lynch Lynch is notorious for not explaining what he what his his stuff meant, yeah, <laughs> you know, he's like, What do you think it means, man? Exactly, what's your yeah. mythology? Yeah,
1: yeah, what's your mythology? I love that, like, yeah, yeah, how do you put it together? Um, and so I uh want to ask one more thing before I stop rambling here, and we can. This is a diatribe, I think, that is n- not necessarily related to uh Iron Shadows and the Moon, but how Iron Shadows and Pool of the Black One are linked together. Um, and this goes with Tolkien. Luke, you in, invoked uh, the professor earlier. Is that is uh, the Middle Earth saga? Is that a a mythos, or is that a mythology?
0: I think by the time Tolkien was done with it, that was a that was a mythology. Like I, I think there is enough canonical material there that establishes such a, a clear framework. Like to me, that is indistinguishable from like uh, Norse mythology or Greek mythology or Roman mythology <laughs> or Welsh mythology. There's enough that, or even more, maybe <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's more Tolkien canon there than a lot of other things that we accept as mythology mm-hmm. all around the world. Like in the, you know, the sociological and the sort of civilizational,
1: Levels.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, do you think that it qualifies as a, as a mythology? Like,
1: I think that now, yes. I think that this goes into John's point of, uh, like Spider-Man maybe is not yet a, um, a mythology. Is that, do I miscategorize what you said? Mm-hmm.
2: No, that's okay.
1: So I think at this point, enough time has passed and enough people have, have, sort of dived in and discussed and written about. And we know from Tolkien and from his son's efforts, how Middle Earth came to be and all of these different things from the Silmarillion and all the different novels that uh, Christopher Tolkien has published from his Mm -hmm. father's notes. Like we've got a pretty good sense of how that world came to be and how it ended up. And, that world is supposed to be a proto-Earth, right? Like, that's the the uh, Tolkienized mythology for England.
0: Yeah, it, right, yeah. So, it it's occurring to me, like, could there ever be... Could we ever consider uh, the Hyber- Hyborian cycles of stories... As a mythology. Could you are are we going to get to a point where you'll be able to take Conan and Cole and all of that and call them a mythology? I don't know if you can, because there's been too many folks that have written various Mm -hmm. stories with those characters, as opposed to with Tolkien we have a mountain of material that he himself put out. and then, you know, uh, Christopher Tolkien sort of taking over his father's like the estate and mm-hmm. he, from what I know, which is not a whole lot of the ins and outs of how all of that has played out. but it's not like he is he is not taking liberties with the materials that his father, Wrote that's my that's my impression that that may be wrong. I think he editorializes and offers more material, but he's almost working as like he's a historian, right? Like the way that Christopher Tolkien is like operating and is very he's a, he's academic himself. Like, but he is <laughs> he is functioning as as a historian.
1: I think so. I, I think that with his sort of archivist efforts, yes. I think he, though, like with the, the novel version of The Children of Hurin, that's a tale that was told in The Silmarillion that he then expanded. And so that is a, a, a novel that is ostensibly a posthumous collaboration with his father.
0: Uh-huh. I think, okay.
1: I, I think that, I, you know, I don't want to say this with 100% certainty, but I'm like 90% sure that. That is um, the skeleton of a story that he then f- put meat on, right? Like that he okay. then expanded.
0: Let's yeah, let's put a pin on that. Like if anybody's listening and they have some some definitive responses and they're like screaming at their at their headphones right now, saying duh here, dum dums, this is <laughs> this is how the larger <laughs> Tolkien world and like how this is Please played teach out. Us. But yes. We're just not as familiar with it. But I think that this is interesting. And something that we can come back to for more discussion too. Maybe we can do a little bit of reading, but I can't. Like people will never stop arguing about the merits and the 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 evils of DeCamp and Carter and uh, Durlith for for Lovecraft. But I've never seen that level of contention or vitriol within the the Tolkien world, like I as a it, yeah. as a very peripheral sort of outsider that's only read a couple like scholarly books on Tolkien's works, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You can't like uh walk from here to around the corner <laughs> with 15 Sword and Sorcery fans on the corner. Somebody's gonna be griping about Decamper or true. Carter along the way.
1: Right. <laughs> um, and, and I kinda wonder, so I wanna I wanna say this on the Wikipedia article for the children of Huron, it says um the children of Huron uh is a novel which forms the completion of a tale by J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote the original version of the story in the late 1910s. His son Christopher Tolkien edited the manuscripts to form a consistent narrative and published it in 2007 as an independent work. Okay. So kind of, I think we have the gist of of it yeah. if we don't have the the exact sort of um I think we have the spirit of it. But I I want to say that yeah. I think that um, the reason that DeCamp and Carter are so derided by Conan fans is <laughs> it's multifaceted. But one of the big reasons is the subconscious knowledge that, that these gentlemen have taken this uh, wild kind of story collective, this mythos, and they have tamed it. They, they've they put it in order and they have explored it and they have added their own their own spin on it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, I think. Um, In the grand scheme of things, like when when people write down a myth, you're taking an oral story and you're putting your own spin on it, whether or not you're cognizant of it or not. Um, But I think that the fact that these two dudes. Canonized Conan. Right. Is subconsciously why people these days don't like them
0: but it's but it's you know of course it's what's the it's so hypocritical it I, and i'm not talking about any one fan within the fandom in particular with any of this it's just the generalities that we observe with online fan culture like you could have that kind of uh vitriol that that you that you hold to but then when you ask somebody is You know what did you think about that Robert Jordan? I keep ripping on Robert Jordan. I haven't even read this Conan like the Conan (laughs) novel or two that he did, but you know I really love that, and I think that was like I think that that's my favorite Conan tale. Somebody at the table is gonna say, and it'll probably be a lot of somebodies. Well, that's not even that's not Conan. That's a pastiche. That's a that's a that's a a shitty job that somebody tried to pass off as Conan. It's the exact same problem. Right. Like if you like where I know there's the the Howard purists, but I think this is a more general kind of fanish hypocrisy that we can kind of talk about here. Just I don't know. I think it's important to realize that you don't have to have the timeline and your your canon ain't other people's canons. And you can if it makes you feel good to argue about like what makes a. A, something a genre and is this part of the genre go for it i guess but like it does i think pull pull from the mystery that you're talking about here
1: and this might be a hot take and people are welcome to challenge me on it uh but th- there is no pure howard there's not farnsworth Wright had his fingers all over these stories baby <laughs> there, there's That's no there's baby your pure howard doesn't level. exist no, it's it's yeah. maybe more pure it's like 99% pure. But
0: I mean there is there is pure power that's out there. Like you can you can go sure, and yes. get yeah, yeah, yeah. the type settings mm-hmm. at the library, the reprints of many 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 things.
1: Right. Okay, uh, yeah. With
0: corrections and stuff.
1: If you're wealthy enough you can afford that stuff from the foundation.
0: Right. And and but that's not what is like the that is such a narrow readership that that to me is not acceptable as actually defining a community's canon. Yeah, it may and, be your own personal canon, which again is totally fine. Like if you're a, pure, a Howard purist and you're only insisting that you're going to read the the REH <laughs> Foundation books, like that's the only thing that works for you, but that you are not uh, going to be able to establish that as canon it's not because honestly yeah. like, you're you're a, a wedge of a wedge of a wedge of that last piece of pizza on the <laughs> in the box man like get, i don't want to get over yourself pepperoni. right like of the of the thousands of people in the world currently that are reading robert e howard they are not reading those purists of the pure forms
1: no they're not uh that and that's I I was being flippant. I'm sorry. Um you're right, Luke. Like there th- you can get Pure Howard. And um, but but it's not but like it is available forms, right? to the world. Yeah, no, you can't you can't just go to Barnes & Noble and get a copy. You can get a copy of the 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 Del Rey probably, and the Del Rey is taken from Weird Tales um type strips, right? Like this is this is not Pure Howard. Right anyway I've th- that, that is a, uh, a a diatribe like a diversion that I don't want to necessarily pursue but yeah uh, I just
0: think it's your 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 eloquence with the text about uh, the insistence to establish more order within like the story structure that we have uh, civilizes the the narrative scope, and takes away the mystery. I think that's absolutely that's absolutely right. I, I mean, I very much uh, agree to that. And I think that more people like this just gets at the point that it is intentional the body of work that we're working with.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: and, and to bring this back to iron shadows in the moonlight, you know, it it takes a certain type of story, and not just one. It took two. Uh, similar stories to bring this idea of this this mythological view of Conan, this mythos view of Conan, I should say, to to fruition for me. Um, and the more that we talk about this story, the more that I appreciate both of these stories for what they re- represent in in my view of the the Howard texts, <laughs> uh, and that is like these these stories are akin to an oral tradition story, right? Like, sure. They've been written down. Okay, fine. But the fact that they are not tied, they're not anchored. They're unmoored. They're, they're out in the, the reeds. They're beyond the, the, uh, the shallows. Like we're out in the depths here and, uh, anything could happen. And, um, that is cool to me. Like this, this could be at any point in Conan's life. And the last time we recorded this, we talked about, is this before Queen of the Black Coast? Is this after Queen of the Black Coast? Does it matter if right. this is before or after Queen of the Black Coast? And, and, it matters
2: if uh, we want to imagine Conan as like a grieving lover and stuff, right? This is kind right. of what we to hit it on before. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll stop. And we we
0: realized that like ultimately it's probably not. Fleshed out in Howard's head, <laughs> right? Like right. what's going, what's going on there? He just goes to the the next big pirate story with the, the queen of the black coast that we're, that we'll be moving on to after this recording. But it's, I don't know. Like, I really think after these discussions that when you're offering recommendations of what to read, for for Howard or for Conan or for within a genre, I think I would very much recommend reading this and Pool of the Black one side by side. Like, <laughs> you know, that may be a little much as far as your your pirate, your pirate taste that you're getting. But I think it is an informative little exercise to, to think about if you want to, like, read, read deeply, if you're not just wanting to rip roar and uh, a story one night, like if you're wanting to try to understand the Conan character and Howard as the author. I think putting these, pairing these up as, as we kind of have is a healthy exercise.
2: Yeah.
1: Johnster, any, uh, any final thoughts about the story? We, we, uh, we didn't dive deep into, you
2: know, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, there, there's a monkey at the end. <laughs>
1: <it>. <laughs> we we uh, didn't dive deep into the, the actual text as written. Um, but those story beats are very similar to the pool of the black one. It's it's there. There's something there.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a cool one. So where are we going? Where are we going to go next, guys? What are we talking about?
1: You want to do your uh, Manila Road, John? Uh, <laughs> Queen of the Black Coast. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna watch as the heads roll. That's where we're.
0: That's okay. where we're gonna head. Oh my uh, <laughs> I think the so with that like once we get that episode out into the wild we will really be at around the halfway point I think and so the tentative plan I think is this episode will come out then we'll do Queen of the Black Coast and then we'll probably have a little bit of a of a soft middle like it's the it's the filling of the Oreo cookie episode mm-hmm. where we yeah. kind of aren't going to talk about a story, but maybe we will do a little bit of a mailbag. We'll also uh, maybe talk about our our draft selection <laughs> thing that we've talked about multiple times where that's what we're, that's what we're toying with, but we're, we're approaching the halfway point with our, our work through here of the current 18th season of the Chromecast. And we'll probably have, a fun mailbag. So we're not going to talk about anything in the inbox today, just in the interest of time. And knowing that we've recorded, uh, the, the queen of the black coast episode coming up too. there's not much in the way of mailbag there, but if you're hearing these episodes kind of live as they come out, if you have anything that you want to, uh, rip into us about or contribute to the discussion, uh, send us an email and we'll try to spend a fair amount of time unpacking some of that kind of like we did with some of our earlier episodes this season. Cause we had a couple longer mailbag sections and we're kind of working up to another one. So if, uh, if people want to send us an email, how can they do
1: that? Josh? Absolutely, man. I, I would love to hear, uh, people's thoughts about, uh, this, this mythos versus mythology, this idea of Conan stories as a mythos. Um, I, and I would, posit a stronger example of what a mythos is than the uh, widely accepted uh, term Cthulhu mythos, which I think is, is pretty loose, but uh, regardless, you can send us feedback. Um, we're the Chromecast at gmail.com. You can call us eight, five, nine, four, two, nine Uh We're on the web, the Chromecast We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at the Chromecast. Um, and I believe that uh, that would do it for our socials. Anything else, guys?
0: feel like we've squeezed the orange so hard. We've got every last bit, and we're getting to the pulp that's kind of coming into the cup here. It's well, going to yeah. be a, a tasty... I'm, I'm pulling... That was a reference. I, I know it's to your far San Pellegrino? More. It made sense to me, my San Pellegrino, my, my orange soda, which is now gone, and I've moved on to the coffee. Uh,
1: it's... but. It is, was an orangey drink. So is that what the me... parrot says? Something about San San Pellegrino, John. <laughs> San
0: Pellegrino, Zutala,
1: Zutala. <laughs> creepy, creepy old parrot. Nope, I got nothing right. else. I, I feel like I've uh, I've said too much.
0: This is good. I feel like this this is a fun discussion, guys. I know we meandered, uh, but it was I think very much on topic for the the story that we were unpacking here. So third time's a charm. That's what we're going to say. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. All right. Well, we will uh, we'll see everybody down the road.
3: Everybody is wondering what and where they all came from. Everybody is worrying about where they're going to go when the whole thing down.